0: Block Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world. BlakeRadio.com. Music for your mind, body, body, and soul. Radio at its best. Is Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. And it is Tuesday, November 24th, and this is Thanksgiving week. And tonight's topic is something we have, of course, great reason to give thanks for. And it is an update on the AIDS epidemic. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people have questions about the AIDS epidemic. Is AIDS a real disease? Is it imaginary? What's going on? And I have to confess, uh, when I was practicing medicine, I was very concerned about AIDS, and I was I was pretty puzzled myself, and I worked very hard to try and sort this out. You know, what was this disease, this deadly disease that was everywhere, that was sexually transmitted, and that was going to kill us all, but somehow uh, I never saw it in my practice. So we're going to take a look, see if we can't get to the bottom of this. But before we do that, we have station identification. You are listening to Healing with Dr. Daniels on the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. And I'd like to remind people, of course, to visit VitalityCapsules.com, our sponsor. And also, we're having a awesome sale uh, for Thanksgiving week. So it's not just Black Friday, but several days of this week. So more than over to VitalityCapsules.com and uh, sign up for your free report, the uh, Candida Cleaner. You'll click right on there on the page. And that way you'll also get not only an awesome report on healing yourself, but notification of our great sale on Vitality Capsules. Now let's go and take a look at the AIDS epidemic. Now, as you know, uh, my source for my information is the medical industrial complex itself. So if the medical industrial complex does not say it, I don't repeat it. Yes, we bought. That's the way we roll here. So what's the big deal? Doctors were surveyed in twenty fifteen on the worst predictions in the past twenty years of medicine. Yes. What were the what were the worst medical predictions of the past twenty years? This was from practitioners. So, other doctors heaped scorn on some of the most heated rhetoric concerning Ebola, which some predicted would kill millions. There were others who recalled that in the 1990s, decimation, definition, death of more than 10% of the population, was predicted for North America and Europe from AIDS. Okay, so doctors themselves, doctors are... upset. And you feel that this is a bad prediction. That the information we're given about the AIDS epidemic was bad information because the predictions did not turn out to be true. This is from doctors. This is not from some new age lay person who doesn't have a medical degree so we were taught in medical school that you can only have an opinion if you had a medical degree so here we are we're looking at what doctors are saying so doctors are saying that this aids epidemic was doctors were misled they're still very much misled so If you have a false prediction, so if you predict something, ah, this is going to happen, and then, of course, we're talking about science here, right? Then you must have a false premise, right? So you must have a false premise if the prediction did not uh, turn out to be the case. So what are a few premises of of the AIDS epidemic? One, AIDS is contagious. Specifically, sexually contagious, that's not very contagious, because not everybody has sex with everybody they see, right? So people but people do have sex. So it's a sexually transmitted disease. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing is it's deadly. That if you have AIDS, then you're going to die sooner than if you don't have AIDS. So these are, these are basic uh, predictions. So early... Right. So These are two predictions, and uh, another prediction is that a greater number of people, What's it's a, a corollary of these predictions, if something is contagious, uh, spread person to person, and if it causes death, then the number of people dying each year is going to increase. right? But guess what? It doesn't happen. It didn't happen. So something must be wrong with these premises, that AIDS is contagious and it's early death. Or how about this? A premise is that AIDS is even a disease at all. Okay? That AIDS is even a disease. So how do we know if something's a disease? How do we know if it's a deadly disease? Well, you have to define, first of all, you have to define health and then you have to define not health. So let's define health. Now, I'm going to give you a numerical definition of health, just a number-crunching scientific just-the-facts, ma'am, definition of health, all right. So we know in the United States, we know because the government tells us that eight people per thousand die every year. So eight Americans out of every thousand die every year. So we know also that human beings, hundred percent death rate. You're born, you die. Got that. Well, then you're going to die. We know that. So if you die if people die at a rate of eight per thousand, then we call that healthy. So if you got if something a condition causes you to die at a rate of more than eight per thousand, then we can start talking about disease. Maybe this is unhealthy. If the death rate is less than 8 per 1,000 from a condition, then that condition and that condition alone will actually lead you to live 115, 120 years, right? Not exactly something consistent with illness. So this is just a benchmark, this 8 per 1,000 figure. If we want to be rigorously scientific about it, A death rate of 10 per 1,000, that's 1% per year, would give you a life expectancy of 100 years, right? So while, why doesn't everyone live to be 100 when we have a death rate of 8 per 1,000? That 8 per 1,000 does fluctuate a bit. but um, So we know then a disease, in order to be deadly, has got to have a death rate of greater than 8 to 10 per 1,000 because the death rate from the disease is 10 per 1,000, then people who have this disease can be expected to live 100 years from the date of diagnosis if that disease is the only thing that's going to kill them. All right? I know that's a lot of numbers there, but hang with me here. So, uh, what are we looking at here? The aging epidemic. So... uh, we're looking at people who are over 50. Yes, I'm 58, so now being on the topic of aging, so it's a, this is really a new, new concept for me, but we just have to go with the flow here. So people who are over 50 and get diagnosed with AIDS, what do they have to look forward to? What's the big deal here? Uh, you know, how how does this affect their lives and what do they tell us doctors? Believe me, we tell us doctors a lot of stuff. Okay. So so we're saying epidemic the HIV epidemic is aging across the globe. What does that mean? Aging. Means people with AIDS are getting older and older and not dying. Like, wait a minute, scratch my head, how can this happen if we have a deadly situation here? Well Um, let's see, let's see what they say. The reference here, by the way, is Medscape. Medscape, this is the the list for doctors, and they send us out every day uh, to keep us doctors up on what's going on. Standard of care. So the factors of why people are getting older is the effectiveness of drugs to suppress AIDS replication Uh, leads to a dramatic decline in AIDS mortality at younger ages. Or, get this, delayed diagnosis of AIDS infection is causing people to live longer because of clinically latent infection. But wait, wait. It's a contradiction here. If intervention and therapy is helping people live longer and at the same time Delayed diagnosis, delayed treatment is helping people live longer, which is it? So we have two contradictory things that are helping people with AIDS live longer. This, by the way, your doctor is constantly bombarded with information like this, scientific information like this. Next is HIV acquisition over the age of 50. So are people over 50 suddenly becoming more sexually active? more sexually active than they were, say, at, at 20? I don't think so. So what's the problem? So an individual level, older patients who have or are HIV positive face unique challenges. Now, listen to these unique challenges. I want in your mind to think of an older person who is healthy. What a healthy older person have any of these situations. All right. Depression. Yes. Older people get depressed. As all their friends start dropping dead and they start going to more funerals and weddings, a lot of older people are just a little more sad. Okay, gotcha. Social isolation. Yeah. People get more isolated as they age. They're not going to get more isolated whether they have uh an HIV virus or not, social isolation is associated with getting older. Lack of a support network. Sure, people get older, they retire, you know, they're not in touch with their friends and buddies at work. Right. Experience of stigma. Whoa, wait a minute. What's the experience of stigma? That means because the label has been slapped on you, the label of AIDS, or this is called label pariah, then people around you are conditioned to culturally respond to you in a certain way. This is not a property of the virus. This has nothing to do with infection. So, so far, we haven't found a single thing that has anything to do with having or not having the AIDS virus. Inadequate access to proper meals. Well, did they create meals on wheels to address AIDS, or... Did people who are older tend to not cook so much for themselves and have inadequate access to meals, proper meals? Because people who are older, 50, 60, 70, 80, tend not to get out to the grocery store as much and not to cook their own meals and try to maybe take shortcuts. All right? Lack of mobility. Again, as people get older, they don't get around as much. Poor eyesight. How many 70-year-olds have eyesight a little worse than when they were... 30 years old. So these are all things that are not in any way specific to having AIDS. Co-morbid conditions. That means illnesses besides AIDS. Well, of course, people who don't have AIDS have illnesses besides AIDS. So, so far, there's nothing here that's a property of the virus. Let's get on the list. i got a long list here. Diminished cognition, that's uh, basically Alzheimer's. People get Alzheimer's without respect but have nothing to do with the virus. Drug interactions, well, come on. If you don't give them drugs, they don't have interactions, right? But people who don't have AIDS are taking medications and they get drug interactions too. Use of multiple concurrent medications for other chronic diseases, of course. But this is something that affects people who don't have AIDS as well. Then fear that antiretroviral therapy use will disclose HIV diagnosis. Wait a minute. This is a cultural issue. So now we have, then, a list of issues associated with older HIV individuals, which is no different than a list of conditions associated with healthy people who are simply adding years to their life. So... This is, this is important, and what they're trying to convince us doctors of, or even worse, convince HIV-positive people of, is that you need to have your doctor address your depression, your social isolation, your lack of support network, your experience of stigma, your inadequate access to proper meals, lack of mobility, poor eyesight, and so on. That you need to turn your whole life over to the medical-industrial complex because you're positive for a virus this doesn't uh you know it doesn't doesn't make sense but the important thing to see here is they actually go on they actually say that people are living longer with aids because of delayed diagnosis because there are many people who have this virus and have no symptoms at all and uh if therapy was so important, then how can delaying diagnosis could contribute to longevity? This is, you know, you gotta at some point you you just got to look at the internal inconsistency here. All right, so what else does the uh medical industrial complex uh tell us about AIDS? Okay, so here he is, we have a study. Aids treatment the sooner the better so in other words if someone is hiv positive the sooner you start drugs the better off they are you get tons of uh benefit to the patient so let's see what that benefit might be and so today and so let's see what the date is the date is august 2015. so it's a pretty recent release here because it's uh, november 2015. there has been little evidence regarding the benefits associated with starting antiretroviral therapy in patients with asymptomatic HIV infection. (laughs) That bears repeating. Little evidence of benefit in those who are HIV positive without symptoms. So we have an illness here then that being aware of the illness changes the prognosis of the illness. But it's not a very scientific objective uh person infected with virus virus takes over and harms person so not uh so so now we're doing a study, and this study shows proves that starting drugs sooner gives you a better outcome and should be done so let's take a look and And c now the c d four cell counts and they're, they're talking about cell counts of five hundred per uh microliter and two hundred fifty per microliter and so the question is, should you start drugs at a lower uh, at a higher cell count? so a higher cell count means the person has a high cell count, their immune some functioning, and should you should you treat them? And this is very, uh, very interesting. So I did a study, and what they found in the study was that 95 percent reduction in the transmission, or sorry, in, uh, in proceeding on to get AIDS, or the transmission of AIDS. So here it is. So the results re- supporting immediate treatment were conclusive. At that time, participants in the delayed treatment group were offered immediate therapy, and no adverse events were associated with this strategy. Well, again, no adverse events. That's a medical uh, technical term, and side effects are not considered an adverse event. So an adverse event would be uh, a death. So the endpoint of the study was a serious age-related event, non-age-related event, or death from any cause. So death from any cause was an endpoint uh as opposed to death from AIDS. So what they found then was there was a 95% reduction in the uh conversion from asymptomatic AIDS to AIDS in people who submitted to this uh therapy. Now as always They don't give us a whole lot of numbers, so we're going to have to use our own numbers from another point in another study. This is common, uh, often um, done. So what they found then was that people who were HIV positive and who had unprotected intercourse, that there is a transmission rate of zero per 44,000 sex sex acts. So that's an interesting um, statement, 44,000. So what we did then is it's, okay, fine, we're going to have a 95% reduction in transmission. And in order to take 95% of something, you have to have something. So let's just say one person in 44,000, in this case, progressed from asymptomatic AIDS to AIDS when they were treated. So that means when they were not treated, ninety-five or uh ninety-five percent more would have had to progress. In other words, five percent is what this one represents. And so ninety five percent worsening would mean that twenty people would have to, twenty people out of the forty four thousand would have had to progress from asymptomatic AIDS to AIDS. So how do we get there? Well, we do math. So 95%, I'm sorry, 5% of 44,000 is 2,000. So that would mean then that 1 in 2,000 people would progress from asymptomatic to AIDS without treatment. 1 in 2,000 That's outrageous, that's just progressing to AIDS. In other words, it's not even death from AIDS. So, if we have a death rate of eight per thousand, and a person without therapy is going to suffer at a rate of one per 2,000, then what we have is we have the healthy of the healthy. So, you're still working with a healthy person. And so this study is interpreted as meaning that people should start AIDS therapy, drugs, as soon as they're diagnosed to prevent the progression from HIV positive with no symptoms to HIV positive with symptoms. But if your HIV positive with symptoms rate is 1 per 2,000, you're still talking about a person who's extremely healthy by definition because the death rate is, again, 8 per 1,000. So something that's less than 8 per 1,000 is not a disease. can't be. uh, is just statistically the way it is. We know this, again, because of these very nice figures kept by our government. So what other information do we have? Well, so the reason for treating treating AIDS, so AIDS is is an immune deficiency disease. So in other words, the immune system is not working. Okay, gotcha. So I actually did a study. This is again uh, uh, from Medscape, and this was educational clinical briefs. This was for doctors. Vaccination may not help MMR prevention in HIV-positive kids. So in other words, if you vaccinate somebody who's HIV-positive with a measles, mumps, and rubella shot, shot's ineffective. What does it tell you? Well, the immune system's not working. The vaccine supposedly helped the immune system develop immunity. And so they're saying, well, you know, in HIV-positive people, the shot doesn't work. And what do we recommend for HIV-positive people? Of course, we recommend they get all the shots. But this study shows that people of AIDS do not appear to develop immunity from these shots. So, very uh, interesting. So... They had 96% of children with perinatally-acquired HIV, so they got AIDS at birth, and they also got antiretroviral therapy, given drugs. 81% were being treated at the time of this study, and the children had adequate CD4 counts and HIV RNA counts of less than 400 copies. In other words, these were healthy children. So they did not develop uh, immunity. So very interesting. So it's not, uh, so if you want an excuse to not get vaccinated, uh, just declare yourself HIV positive. And so the HIV guidelines now endorse treatment of AIDS. Again, you've got a condition where... People are dying at a rate less than that in the regular population. So again, this condition fails to meet the definition of deadly. Shocking, isn't it? Okay, prevention of HIV infection, one sexual history at a time. And so What they're telling us, doctors, is we need to pry into the sexual habits of our patients. We need to find out what kind of sex are they having. How many partners do they have? And I guess probably even who knows what position they use and if they use condoms. Really detailed stuff. So what happens to all this information? You guessed it. It goes into your electronic health records to be bought and sold over the Internet. Yes. And so they have this picture of this incredibly sultry model, and she's got full uh, makeup and hair and, you know, everything. And so they've got this sample sexual history. I guess we're going to go with it. Trans woman, this this person converted from male to female, has been your patient for five years, stable dose of spironolactone and estrogen. These are drugs given to create a female appearance in a male, just by the way. And, of course, she's sat with the results of her great therapy. This is what you're telling the your doctors. And today, this person says she broke up with a long-time male partner of five months. No, a long-time male partner of five months ago, and it has been active in the club scene. And so this is an incredible amount of personal information. It's nothing to do with anything, because, of course, the illness we're looking for, HIV, um, is non-deadly. And It's defined by deaths of fewer than... Eight per thousand per year. So, and this is another thing that's going that's now hitting the uh, the airways of the radar of doctors is banning harmful health behaviors as a condition of employment. And so, uh, so the next thing, of course, is for doctors to get involved in um, people's. Uh, sex behaviors So let's take a look at this AIDS epidemic now I came on board in medical school 79 to 83 that's when I became aware of it and so let's just take a look of how many people died of AIDS in 1983 2,304 okay and so these 2,204 people uh, apparently um, had sex with other people and by 1986 16,000 people, uh, I'm sorry, cumulative known deaths was 16,000. And that's a pretty slow moving at eponim- the especially when you wanna look at uh, something that's contagious. So in 1989, um, the death toll was believed to be 14,000. We're gonna take that as just fact. That's 1989. So fast forward from 1989, to 2002, and there's 16,000 deaths in 2002. So 16,000 deaths in 2002, and in 1989, we have 14,000 deaths, 14,500. So then this epidemic has not budged at all, not at all. And so just the epidemiology of it, just looking at those numbers, it tells you that this uh, situation is not a person-to-person spread situation. This is a common source outbreak. In other words, there's some kind of toxin or chemical or whatever coming from some particular source or some cultural practice that um, is creating this condition. Because if we're person-to-person spread, Then it would spread from one person to another person. And the numbers would be greater and greater and greater. So we have here a common source outbreak. And some people say, well, Dr. Daniels, what about strep throat? Isn't strep an infectious disease? Uh Aha! But is it contagious from another person? Is that how people get strep? The answer is no. Apparently, people get strep from cheese, which is inoculated with strep. And it's manufactured, cheddar cheese is manufactured... By inoculating milk with strep and cultivating and cultivating and cultivating it. And so if you look at people who get strep, you will see they have this dietary uh, uh, situation. Okay, so the epidemiology, the pattern of infection doesn't act infectious, the pattern of, of acquisition. Then um, we have the age.gov site. So we're gonna we're gonna take a leap of faith that uh this is somehow sponsored by the government. And so <laughs> So they're saying that that the uh there's a problem with the gaps in HIV care, and not everyone who has HIV positive is taking drugs and this is a bad thing. But again, our problem is we got We've got a premise issue, and the premise is that it's a disease. If the death rate of someone who is HIV positive without symptoms is less than uh, 8 per 1,000, then it's not a disease. So the death rate documented by the um, World Health Organization is 5 per 1,000. 5 per 1,000. So being HIV positive without symptoms, you actually have a less chance of dying without therapy than someone who's not HIV positive. So it's not even a marker for increased death. And this would be one big reason why the epidemic, or the death rate, the decimation, death of 10% of Americans did not materialize. Next, AIDS is cont- contagious sexually. Uh, Again, we have to look to the World Health Organization for this number, and the sexual transmission rate, unprotected sex among two heterosexual adults is uh, 1 in 4,000. Again, it would take more than 10 years of continuous sex, which is for the sake of discussion, sex every single day with the same person to get the disease. So promiscuity, actually, would be a major defense against AIDS if, it is sexually transmitted and if it takes 10 years of sex with the same infected partner in order to get the disease. So the number of deaths per year cannot possibly increase when the death rate in the infected population is less than the death rate for average healthy people. So it, it can't go on to spread and, and take over uh, the population as a major or increasing um, cause of death. Now, we also have the um, the updates. Updates are, are, are always nice. Uh, Low-level viral load, here we go. Studies in women uh, use a viral load, which is a a test that amplifies the presence of the virus. They make an estimate, and so in this case, 200 copies per mil, which is really a spit in the ocean, as an indicator of a poor response to AIDS treatment. Um, Repeatedly having a high viral load raises the risk of illness. But does a low viral load really matter. And their interpretation is a study suggested it does increase the risk of serious illness, although this remains a rare event overall. So again, uh, something times zero is still zero. This is a mathematical issue. So if you multiply, you know, zero times anything, it's, it's just zero. So if something's extremely rare, infinitesimal, that means so small it can't be measured, that means very close to zero, then it doesn't matter how deadly it is. If it's infinitesimal, then it's never going to happen anyway. So here's what they say. And people uh, with an undetectable viral load, five people in every thousand went on to have AIDS or die. Now, I'm taking the worst case scenario is death, but five per thousand, again, that's healthy. It's below eight. But if we take the other interpretation of the statement, if five people in every 1,000 went on to have AIDS, well, that doesn't count. So five per every 1,000 went on to live. Well, that's not deadly. You can't justify giving someone a deadly, disease, deadly drug for a disease that's not deadly. That's my interpretation. That's not what the medical industrial complex says. So I want to make that clear. That's my, my opinion. Okay, people with a viral load between 50 and 200 copies, 12 in every thousand went on to have AIDS or to die. Wait, AIDS or death? So in other words, we still are very much under the eight per thousand death rate, even with a viral load as high as 200 copies per mil. And now in people who have a viral load between 200 and 500, 19 per thousand went on to have AIDS. Well. we're talking about basically a non-deadly disease. and So non-deadly disease. There you go. Not much else to say about it. And that's why the epidemic has not materialized, because AIDS is not deadly, it's not contagious, and doesn't result in early death. And again, if it did result in early death, why do we have a big geriatric population with uh, the virus? Okay. Hormone contraception is safe. Okay, so they've done studies saying, hey, if you're HIV positive and you're a woman, then using contraception is safe for you. That these ladies can even get pregnant is a sign of good health. That their babies are born healthy. Again, the prior uh, study we mentioned, looking at babies, showed that by a baby's HIV positive, it can have a normal a CD4 white count, and basically this is a healthy kid. So why would a woman who's HIV positive want to use birth control? For the same reason any healthy woman would want to use birth control. In other words, being HIV positive has nothing to do with the ability to have or um, not have children. And here it says, so overall, women taking hormonal contraceptives were in better health than other women. Why? Well, probably because healthier women have an interest in sex. So, why did the AIDS epidemic not materialize? It didn't materialize because it's not deadly. It's no more deadly than waking up alive and being uh, being being alive. So, if you're being if you're alive, 100% chance of death over your lifetime. Eight per thousand in any particular year in the United States, and people who are HIV positive without symptoms have no worse or no greater chance of dying than people who are HIV negative and don't have symptoms. Now this is by just again, this is a you know CDC, CDC talking. This is their you know their figures, their information, not mine. So. What, so that means, then, is having the virus or being labeled as having the virus does not have an implication for your health independent of just being alive. So just having the virus has no predictive value. In other words, the virus doesn't cause disease. So... This is what the medical industrial complex has concluded. And I think uh, it should be a great relief to anyone who's HIV positive. So very, very good news. So this is why it's one of the top bad predictions of the past 20 years. Now, what does this tell us, though? Is there anything we can figure this out or sort from this? Well, what's happened here, then is you have a whole sub-niche in an industry created by developing a test that is positive for a marker, that has nothing to do with disease, and is, people are conditioned through propaganda, through information, to believe a risk exists when it doesn't, and as a result of that, to consume some pretty... The expensive drugs and of course we have the sad case of Charlie Sheen who was HIV positive elected to take drugs which means what you got a bottle it's labeled it's got drug names on it it's got your name on it um, and you can see that and say oh my god you've got two then you go to the pharmacy to get a fill the pharmacy knows and then you have this social stigma and so he spent ten million dollars to address the social stigma And, well, actually, the reality of his life is his life goes on. He's able to, to, you know, work as an actor, star in movies, whatever. So what I would say to Charlie Sheen is to seriously reconsider his latest role as an actor, which is acting as if he has a disease that's harmful. Maybe he should let someone else read that script and then just go on with his life. And again, because he's an actor, he's got choices. Being an excellent actor, he could just pretend he's taking his AIDS drugs and not take them. That would give him the best outcome of all. That way he'd be much healthier and he could enjoy a, a pretty nice life. <laughs> so, um, now it's time to... answer questions, let me see if I can get all my screens here, just the way you're supposed to be. Hmm. Ah, there it is. So the moral of the story is, as someone in the chat room so aptly put it, if something is harmless, it's called a disease, and if it's deadly, it gets FDA approval. That's pretty much the pattern here. Um, and so it's important when you get a diagnosis, whatever it might be, that you find out, what are my chances, doc? What if I do nothing? How bad is it? And uh, that's important to assess. And a doctor, without even thinking, he'll tell you, well, if you do nothing, hmm, could be chances of five per 1,000 that you're going to go on to bad things happening. But I know it's a small chance, but every chance is, well, a chance. And so, if you know then that your chances of dying this year are eight per thousand because you're healthy, he's offering you therapy to ameliorate something that has a chance of five per thousand of harming you. You can confidently say, you know, doc, I'm going to pray on it. I'm going to pray on it. I appreciate the information. If you can't refuse therapy anymore. because free will is not something that uh, is allowed. A payment equals consent, and if you have insurance, guess what? You've already paid, you've already consented, and your goose is pretty much cooked. All right. (laughs) Yes, that's right. There's a comment in the chat room. Uh, Sheen is now playing his biggest role in his career. Yes, he is. And if he doesn't play it right, it will put him right in the grave. So we're going to keep our eyes peeled and see how how Charlie uh, makes out here. We're going to wish him the best and hope that he really, really does a good job with this role and that he pretends to take his drugs, doesn't take them, and has a long and happy life. That's what we hope for Charlie. That's what I hope for Charlie. I hope he does well. (laughs) Okay, so uh, if people have questions, they can call in at... 914-338-0695. And if you're already on the line, there's a button you can click. I think it's one if you have questions. Meanwhile, we'll turn our attention to the chat room. (laughs) All right. There are so many. (laughs) This is why. In some cases, it does not pay to be rich and high profile. Yes. Uh, actually, the best deal is to be wealthy and low profile, wealthy and anonymous. Unfortunately, uh, that's, difficult do, uh, <laughs> that's difficult to do because... it's difficult to do because... In order to uh, have cu- enough customers slash clients, uh, you have to communicate what you're doing to a large number of people. And then uh, so the option then is to have, of course, a pseudonym. Okay. <laughs> Chad says, can, and this is off topic, but I have to address this because I get so many questions about this. Can you give some advice on how to find legitimate online jobs? Especially for people who don't have any startup money. Okay. You need to have some startup money, like $30, I would recommend. So go to Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y, Udemy, and you can um, review their courses. And there will be courses where people say, I took this course, and now I'm making $1,000 a month online. I took this course, and now I'm making $20,000 a month online. So shoot your wad, 10 bucks. Take one of those courses, and... um, the courses actually tell you a skill that will help you make money and how to um get clients with that. As you know, I've not really ever had a real job, so I can't give advice on uh resume stuff. Okay. We have tons of other questions. <laughs> Okay, so someone mentioned cyber and ClickBank. Those are possibilities, but I found those to be a little bit uh, difficult. I'd recommend Elance. So go to Udemy, get a skill, and then go to Elance. That's what I would recommend. Um, because once you uh, do something correctly on Elance, you just get tons of business. That works out really well. Okay, so How does disease in modern day compare with superstition of of the past? Do we really just have superstitions dressed up in a white coat? I would say yes, absolutely. Because your doctor is filled with... Uh, information like this, bombarded every day uh, by the medical societies, uh, by continuing medical education institutions, by hospitals, by drug companies. And he's told that these things are diseases. They've got to be treated, and here's a protocol for each one. And if he, and even as a doctor, when I was practicing medicine, this was back in the 90s, I was just bombarded with all this deadly, dangerous stuff. I'm like, well, wait a minute. How deadly is this really? What is this person's chances of dying if I uh, don't do anything or if he doesn't do anything? And when you you find out that all of a sudden that information is not available. And it took years for me to drill down on the death rate for cervical cancer. I mean, six per 100,000? It's not deadly. It just isn't. Not worth screening for. So doctors have such a defective database, and they're so deluged with all of these imaginary fake diseases that they, as doctors, don't know it's fake. They don't know it's imaginary. Why? Because for them, it's, it's real. It's very real. If they don't label that patient, if they don't prescribe that drug, they lose that license, they lose their uh, income and their permission to even work. But in the case, that's what I lost. I lost my permission to work at any job. You know, to do not employ with I mean, that's lose loss of permission to work. And so... Uh... <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So that means what is your... Um, take on human virus as a cause of cancer. All right. You know, I looked into this because I was really concerned. I was like, is human papillomavirus causing cancer? And so really, to establish that this virus causes cancer, you have to establish that the people who have the virus have more cancer than the people who don't have the virus. Right? That's what you look for. So I drilled down, and I looked and looked and looked and looked. I'm telling you, it's you a crawl pretty deep into the .gov National Institutes of Health website to find this, but it's there. People who die of cervical cancer have a, um infection rate, HPV infection rate of 94%. Like, wow, what? That's a high infection rate. It must be... Well, it's just pre. Must be, must be real. It must be that the virus causes that. Well, what's the infection rate for people who don't get cervical cancer? 99%. Yeah. So people who don't get cervical cancer have a higher human papillomavirus infection rate than people who do get cervical cancer. Again, another case. <laughs> We've been fooled again. Uh, you pick a test. You test for an agent that's unrelated to disease. You convince people it is related, and as a result, they take uh, therapies. And this is really a very good model because since the test for the disease is bogus, and the treatment is actually harmful, then enter the insurance company that denies access to treatment. Well, you're not harming anybody, right, because the diagnosis and and the um, treatment were harmful, And the person was always healthy anyway. So it becomes one big theater act. And so as an individual, your question to yourself is, do I want to engage in that? Do I want to go and get blood tests for irrelevant markers so I can take therapy that's going to harm me and even kill me? And that's your question. Of course, I can't answer it for you. It's up to you. Okay, so we have here... A list of fake diseases. And I know I'm going to make a lot of enemies here, but <laughs> I'll shout out the ones that, again, by evidence, as presented by the medical industrial complex itself, uh, these diseases are fake. Are the people sick? Yes. Is their sickness caused by the infectious agent? No. And so this is what makes them fake uh, diseases. And so let's take a look here. Mad cow disease, absolutely fake, got to be. Why? It's not even contagious. So mad cow disease can't be can't even be spread from cow to cow. It can be spread by people eating the flesh of a cow that dies of mad cow. What's really causing the disease? The chemicals the cows have been infected with or doused with. And so this, these are um, chemicals that cause poisoning and deterioration of the neurological system. So it's not an infectious uh, origin at all. So mad cow disease, Lyme disease, which appears to be a cover story for vaccine complications. Um, West Nile, that went nowhere. If it was truly deadly, people would be dying, right? There you go. Bird flu, another one that fizzled. So these are all uh, diseases. Okay. I have to answer. People lost interest in AIDS. Worse than people losing interest in AIDS is doctors have lost interest in AIDS. Some doctors have lost interest in diagnosing AIDS. They've lost interest in it because it just hasn't materialized. And as a doctor warning people about AIDS, predicting these dire events, and then never never happens, you just feel a little ridiculous. it could be humiliating after a while. Okay. (laughs) So, Dr. Daniel, what then would be the value of a checkup? um, The medical industrial complex has proven that there is no medical value to a checkup. In fact, it's a negative value to your health. So. Uh, the annual physical exam is actually dangerous to your health because the doctor is going to find things that would never have adversely affected your health and then give you drugs that will make you sick. And we see this with the cholesterol medications. We now find that who take cholesterol medications to develop Alzheimer's, a complication of the cholesterol medicines, um, and, and they take it for a condition, heart disease, that they don't have. Dr. Daniel, could these diseases be a replacement to population conditioning such as the Kami scare? And would AIDS be the equivalent of the Kami scare or terrorism? And I say yes. All of these things are devices for the individuals to give up their sovereignty to a government so he says oh my god we have this epidemic we have AIDS therefore the government gets to tell you how to live your life because this is going to protect you from getting this terrible disease called AIDS so government needs to tell you how many sex partners to have whether or not to use condoms and then it just creep 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 uh you know what sex position to use uh, whether or not to have children um, whether to immunize those children or not, whether to give them AIDS medicines or not when they're born. And this this control and dominance over your everyday existence just spreads. And that's the purpose of the AIDS scare, the terrorism scare, the commie scare, is to extend this control with, of course, your consent and complete cooperation. Personally... I believe the whole AIDS scare. I wasn't taking any chances. I was actually celibate for a full 10 years because I did not want to get AIDS. <laughs> so we have about 90 seconds left, which is not a lot of time. So I can remind people to visit com. We have a great sale coming up this week, uh, so don't miss it. Stop by com. Sign up for your free report, and uh, you can check out replays. We have a replay on Lyme disease, Lyme, or what, and many of these um, imaginary diseases have been, <laughs> have been addressed. Okay, this is Dr. Daniels signing out. And as always, think happens.